Will you please take your Bibles and join me in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, let's begin by reading verses 8 and 9. Finally, my brethren. It's the second time Paul is now telling us finally. Finally, my brethren. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and see in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Over the last few weeks, in the previous verses, we've covered what are some great helps for the Christian in his walk with God. And we saw in verses 4 through 7, stress-free living. We're to rejoice in the Lord always. We're to let our moderation be known unto all men, knowing that the Lord is at hand. We are to be careful for nothing but in prayer about everything. And when we do that, we're supposed to have a peace which passes all understanding because the, the idea is that when you go to the Lord in prayer, He hears you and you believe that He's going to help you. <laughs> and it's a, it's a peace that passes all understanding, the Bible says. So what a blessing to be in Christ. Amen? But we don't always experience these blessings. Because we're not practicing these verses. Instead of rejoicing, there's complaining. Instead of moderation, or instead of being calm, cool, collected, people take matters into their own hands. As if the Lord is not at hand. As if the Lord doesn't care about you and your problems. Instead of praying about everything and giving it over to God, Some people are hand-wringing worry warts, worry about everything, careful about everything, anxious about everything. No wonder they have no peace in their life. So as it relates to bad stressors in life, because somebody will inevitably teach me that there are good stresses in life, as it relates to bad stresses in life, uh, Christians who are in the will of God have been given the ability through Christ to live a stress-free life overall. We can be joyful, mild, tranquil, prayerful, and peaceful, but the choice is ours. And so what it really comes down to is whether or not we believe God's Word. Do we believe who God is? It comes down to choosing to walk in the Spirit. Because if you look at verses 4-7, through you'll find that these things are lining up with the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22-25 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That fits a lot of what we covered in verses 4-7. through Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Well, we are given... Another great verse here tonight on helping us in our walk with God. Verse 8 here is very well known. I'm sure everyone here tonight is familiar with this passage. And it can help us immensely in our Christian life when we are armed with the right kind of thinking. Now, before we get to verse 8 though, I want to go back and 
get deeper into a thought from verse 7 that I didn't really cover last week. I just kind of touched on it. Because I think if we'll talk about that, it'll help set up our understanding of verse 8. The end of verse 7 there, you'll notice it says, about the peace of God that passes all understanding, it says, it shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, we can never place enough emphasis on our mind, our mental health, if you will. We got to have our mind in the right condition. And the condition of your mind reveals the condition of your heart. As our heart goes, our mind will go, and then our actions will follow. Therefore, it really all begins with the heart. And this is really fascinating as you study this out. And I'll just tell you now, I'm not going to be able to do this topic justice. But it's very complex, I think, sometimes to try to describe all this, at least in my, my limited brain. It's hard sometimes to understand all this. So try to stay with me here. Uh, your heart and your mind, they're very similar in the Scriptures. But they're different. We saw last week in verse 7 how the peace of God can keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So while the two are very closely connected, there must be a difference. The heart is the seat of all your emotions, your feelings. The mind is your understanding and judgment of what follows, what flows from the heart. What do you do with that emotion? It is your judgment of that. And really, your, your heart, your mind, it encompasses your soul. Remember the parable of the rich man. He was going to tear down his barns. He had a very plentiful harvest, and he was going to tear down his barns, build bigger ones, stuff them full, so he didn't have to work for a few years. <laughs> yeah. The Bible says he thought within himself. And then when he began to speak to himself, he said, soul. (laughs) His heart, his thoughts, they're wrapped up in his soul. Jesus said this, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. So there are differences, yet they are all intertwined. And for sure, these things, they drive us to action. Proverbs 21.10 says, The soul of the wicked desireth evil. Genesis 6.5, it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man was committing great wickedness in the earth because the imagination and thoughts of his heart were evil. Continually. It drove to action. And we see again how closely the heart and the mind are tied together. That passage said the the thoughts of his heart. It was the thinking of the heart that led to the wicked actions. Jeremiah 4.14 says, O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts Lodge within thee. And so Judah had a very wicked heart, which led to wicked thoughts, which led to a wicked practice. It was all tied together. 
But at the root of their problem, it was the heart. This is what Jesus taught us. Luke 5.22, But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, He answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Matthew 9.4, the companion passage, I believe. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? And of course, you know Matthew 7.21, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. At the heart of our problem, it's our heart. Now the problem is, we can't change our sinful heart. We need a new heart. And while we can't change our heart, we can change our thinking. This is why it's interesting to me how all this ties together, because the heart can drive the thoughts, but also the thoughts can help the heart. And so the heart is our problem. It's sinful. We needed a new heart. The way we get to the new heart is by changing our thinking. It's called repentance. To have a change of mind. Therefore, the way God first reaches our heart is when we begin to change our mind. Acts 8.22 says, Repent. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. See how it's all connected there. There, there is the need to change your wicked thinking. Repent, he said. Then you pray to God and you ask God to forgive you for the wrong thinking which has proceeded from the evil heart. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6, it says, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And so if you're lost here tonight, listen, you need a new heart. It'll only come by having peace with God, which can only come through Christ who made peace possible by shedding His blood on the cross for us. Colossians 1, verses 20 and 21, speaking of Jesus, it says, "...and having made peace..." He made it. He made the peace. Having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him, I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by your wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. So what's the, what was the problem? When we were without Christ, we were an enemy of God. We're born in enmity with God. We were an enemy of God in our mind. And ultimately, that flowed from our heart, which in turn led you to wicked works that caused you to be a sinner. The problem is how you think about Christ and sin. And that's the whole point of repent. You have to agree with God, what He says about you, what He says about sin, what He says about salvation. And only then can you receive the peace of God that passes all understanding. And only then can you have your heart and your mind kept through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm trying not to sound like a bunch of psycho babble here tonight. I hope this is making sense. Now, how about us who are in Christ? I know that's the vast majority of a Wednesday night crowd. 
after we have received a new heart, we still need our hearts and our mind kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we can become guilty of having a corrupted heart, which in turn will affect the way we think. And in context here, in Philippians 4, it ties back to these verses, verses 6 and 7, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious, don't worry, but pray. And and when you learn to trust God wholly, then you'll have the peace of God that will keep your heart and your mind through Christ. So your heart and your mind are kept by the peace of God. That's when you learn to trust God enough that He's going to take care of your life. That He's watching over you. That He'll protect you. He knows what you need for your morrow. He knows what you need for today. He, he has it in control. That's why Jesus said, remember we talked about it, take no thought for your life. Don't be worried about it. It's the same Greek word. Don't be worried about it. I've got this. And that phrase here at the end of verse 7, shall keep, that is a military term, and it means to have a guard or a sentinel for protection stationed around your heart and your mind. It's the peace of God that enables that garrison of troops, if you will. It is the peace of God which we only get when we stop worrying and we start trusting God fully, then we have this protection. Peter said we are kept by the power of God. It's the same same word here for shall keep. When Peter says you are kept, it's the same word. And, And it is by the power of God. It is His troops that keep your heart and your mind. But we become anxious and worrisome. And I want you to understand, when we become anxious and worrisome, we are now forfeiting the peace of God that will protect our hearts and our minds. Therefore, we, when we worry, we're no longer protected by that peace. And then, out of a bad heart, will begin to flow bad thoughts which are going to lead you into bad action. So what do we do? What do we do as believers? Well, Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of life everlasting. When we get off course from God... We go to the one, we ought to go to the one who knows our heart better than we know our heart. The one who knows every thought we've ever had. And and we allow Him to show us where we need to get our heart right. 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 9, it says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, And serve Him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou wilt seek Him, He will be found of thee. But if thou forsake Him, He will cast thee off forever. We not only go to God in prayer, but we also go to God's Word. Not only search me, O God, know my heart, know my thoughts, 
but we go to the Word of God as we get off course from God and we need to get that protection of the peace of God back in our life. We go to the Word of God. Why? Because Hebrews 4.12 tells us the Word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God knows your heart. It shows you your heart. James explained it this way. We look into the perfect law of liberty. And it's like a mirror and it reflects who we really are. And so we go to the Word of God to see where our heart is at, where our thoughts are at. And then when God shows us, we need to get that right. We need to confess that sin and get our deceived heart back where it needs to be. So we need our hearts and our minds kept by the peace of God through Christ, which we get from practicing verse 6. Once we have that protection, we need to keep the peace of God in order to keep our hearts and mind. And as we do, we'll have the right thoughts which flow from a right heart. Now look at verse 8. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So I took the time to address all that I did from verse 7 because in order for us to think on these things, we need to make sure we have a right heart, a protected heart. And in turn, thinking on these things, it will help to keep our heart where it needs to be. All of this is interconnected in these passages. When we get away from thinking on these things, we're going to dirty our heart up. That's going to dirty our mind up, which is going to lead to sinful practices. Consider David for just a minute when he had his affair with Bathsheba. He wasn't where he was supposed to be to begin with, right? It was the time when the kings were to go out to battle and he stayed back in Jerusalem. It wasn't where he needed to be to begin with. That's a whole other issue, but... From his rooftop in the evening, he's walking up there and he beheld Bathsheba washing herself, which was required by the law because she was um, at her time of purification from her uncleanness. Um, she obviously wasn't making sure anybody couldn't see her. That's a whole other thing, but for sake, we're just going to focus on David. The Bible says she was very beautiful to look upon. And, and many men, many men in here, have problems with their physical sight leading them astray. Pornography is the greatest sin in the church. I know it's quiet for a reason. But it's because as men, we let our eyes lead us. And we get astray from God. And David here, he's no different. He saw a beautiful woman. And, and his physical sight drew him away from what he knew to be doing. Honoring God. And so he took her, he lay with her, knowing she was the, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, one of David's mighty men, as listed in 2 Samuel 23. Now, as we, we consider that, and aren't you glad it's his sin recorded and not ours, as we consider what David went through, what do you think would have happened had he been thinking on these things? I believe had he been thinking on what's honest, just, pure, lovely in the sight of God, what was of good re report, virtuous, praiseworthy, he could have overcome his temptation. 
And therefore, he could have saved himself a lot of problems. Let's suppose he accidentally saw her. That's not the sin. We can't always control what goes in front of our eyes. But lusting after her was. Jesus said in Matthew 5.28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. What's in the heart led to his action. And as a result, long story short, Bathsheba became pregnant. David had Uriah killed. The baby that she conceived died after a week of being born. God said the sword would never depart from David's house. And, and what, um, what tremendous misery he went through for a moment of pleasure. What was David's problem? It was in his heart. His heart became corrupted, which led to wrong thoughts, which led to sin. And so I hope you're seeing how all of this is tying together. He forfeited his peace with God. He had that protective garrison that was placed around him, dismissed of their duty. And he allowed the corruption to begin to enter in. And so what did David have to pray then in Psalm 51? In part, in verse 10 over there, David asked God to do what? Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. What did David He needed a clean heart. Out of his heart were proceeding sinful thoughts. So what am I getting at? If, if verse 8 is going to be real in your life, then you need to keep your heart right with God Because out of your heart flows your thoughts. They are called the thoughts of your heart. So if you are struggling with verse 8, then you need to have God search your heart. And when God shows you and puts that finger upon what's off in your life, get it right. Confess it. And ask God to create in you a clean heart. So what is it you're thinking about? Because you are what you think about. What does your mind dwell upon? What do you find yourself doing? You first thought about it in your mind. It is imperative then that we learn to think on these things. I don't think I need to break these down for you. I think we we understand what's being said here, but we must understand these things in light of who God is and not how the world decides to define these different things. So just real quick, those things that are true are just that, truth. What is truth? God's Word. The things that are honest are things that are honorable. Things that are just are things that are right and are holy. Things that are pure are things that are clean and chaste. Things that are lovely are things that are acceptable. Things that are of good report are things which are well spoken as God sees it. And then Paul, he captures it all and he says, If there be any virtue, that's anything that is proper and excellent. And if there be any praise, those are the things that God praises, that God says are commendable. But we can be guilty 
of thinking sinful things. And then we wonder why we don't get victory over sin. What are you thinking about? What we input is what we're going to output. You will practice what you dwell upon. So, I have to go there. What are you allowing into your ears and into your eyes? Those things, they penetrate your mind, which affects your thinking, which will reach to your heart. And in turn, it causes you sin in your life that you're saying you desire to get victory over. What if you held verse 8 here up against your television set? What if you held it up against your music? Would your music and your viewing habits be in contradiction to what is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report? Is there anything of of virtue or, or praise in those things, in your entertainment? What you listen to, what you watch, where you go, what you do? I'm just trying to say you cannot sit there and blame God for not having victory in your life when you constantly pump this stuff into your eyes and ears. It's, it's corruptible things. They're carnal things that are provided to us from the world. And as Pastor Keen would say, you need to stop your stinking thinking. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 15, get this now, He said, the people's heart is waxed gross. So He says, the, the heart isn't right. But then He says, their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. So Jesus connects what he connects the heart to what is heard in the ears and seen by the eye. That's the connection there. The heart grows callous, he said. That's what it means. The heart grows callous as the ears take in sin and as the eyes behold sin. Ezekiel 40 and verse 4 on the other end of that says, Behold with thine eyes, hear with thine ears, and set thine heart upon all that I shall show thee. And so the heart, the eyes, the ears, all of this is connected. And if you will behold the things of God, hear the things of God, it will affect your thoughts and your heart. And that will lead you to the right actions that you're seeking. So listen to godly music. Listen to biblical preaching. It will reach your heart and impact your thoughts. But here's the problem. Even for us who are here for three services a week, we experience a godly influence in our life for about four to six hours per week at church. But then when we are not here, we find ourselves indulging in all manner of sinfulness which is far outweighing those meager Five hours or so that we spend at the house of God. You get up, you get ready, you rush out the door just enough time, you're not late for work. You're surrounded by the world's sinfulness. Sometimes you're even participating in it. You're hearing things, you're seeing filth that is of this world for 8 to 12 hours per day. Then you get home, you plop yourself in front of the television because you just got to unwind 
you're in front of the internet, a gaming system, uh, put the earbuds in, whatever, and what you end up doing is you end up tuning in all of this ungodly influence. And then you wonder why. Why am I not having victory in my home? Why am I not having victory in my family? Why am I not having victory in my life? Because you can't do the things of God outside of the church house. And I'm not being harsh tonight. I'm just trying to get us to see that when we only practice verse 8 for a few hours during the week, we cannot expect that to be enough time to overcome all of the wickedness that we're either allowing or being subjected to. What do we do? you got to develop a daily walk with God. you got to be in the Word of God daily. you got to be in prayer. You, you, listen, you've got to get into the Word of God, study it, memorize it, and meditate upon it. There's a reason Jesus said, listen, if you're going to pray... Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. You're going to be surrounded by it in the world. And so we've got to watch and listen to what's virtuous and praiseworthy in the sight of God. So in closing, to think on these things. That word think, it means to take an inventory. Think on these things. Take an inventory of them account them or conclude that they are highly esteemed by God. Therefore, they are to be fervently practiced by His children and they are to become our habit in life. That's how our life should look is verse 8. If you're struggling in your thought life, consider 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Your thought life, get this now, your thought life is going to be in direct proportion to your obedience to Christ. As we obey the Lord, He pulls down the strongholds. He casts down our imaginations. He casts down anything that we've exalted above Him and He brings our thoughts into captivity or or He brings them into subjection to Him. But we have to learn obedience to Christ. Therefore, those things which we do that are contradicting His Word, they're not in obedience to Christ. And James says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, it says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Philippians 4.8, listen, it just simply comes down to your obedience. You know, the Christian life is not this mystery. I'm growing weary. God help me. 
I'm just going to be transparent with you. I am growing weary of dealing with people's problems when it's right here. Listen, I'm tired of telling you how to get your marriage right. Husbands love, wives submit, children obey. I don't want to do that. It is so simple. Obey the Word of God. Well, you don't understand. I got to have a special book. I got to have a special program. I got to have a special seminar. I got to have a. You're not even here in church. All right, I'm getting in the flesh here in just a second. I'm going to just stop. But listen, it is your obedience to Christ. I just can't get victory. I know you can't because you're not thinking on these things. You have to crucify your flesh with the affections and lust. Live in the Spirit. Yeah, I understand we're sinners. We're going to have issues and struggles. I get that. But listen, your overall trajectory in life ought to be holiness. I know there's going to be things that come up. I know. I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm very real about that. And I'm not that guy who says you're going to live in perfection, sinless perfection. Now, as we crucify the flesh, as we live in the Spirit, listen, as you do those things, you will begin to experience victory. It'll happen in your thought life, which will lead to victorious actions. Think on these things. Let's pray.